0: CHAPTER TWENTY-SIX OF THE PENNYCUM QUICKS This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE PENNYCUM QUICKS by Sabine Berengould CHAPTER TWENTY-SIX HYMAN A twelve-month slipped away, easily, happily, to none more so than to Philip Quick To the fates, how strange must seem the readiness with which women plunge into matrimony, and the shyness with which some men look at it, for matrimony is emphatically an institution designed for the comfort of man, irrespective of the interests of the woman. The married man ceases to have care about his meals, they come to him. He gives no thought to his servants, they are managed for him. He is not troubled about his clothing, it now hangs together, whereas formerly it fell to pieces. When the married man prepares to shave, the soap dish is full, his tidy is clean his razors in order the bachelor finds all in confusion before marriage he who had a cook was served with india-rubber after it he gets his meat succulent and well cooked before marriage the linen went to the wash and only half returned silk handkerchiefs returned as cotton stockings came odd jerseys in holes sheets in rags and shirt-fronts enamelled with iron mould after marriage everything returns in good condition and in proper number but to the woman matrimony is by no means a relief from cares on the contrary the woman passes through the ring into an arena of battle we are told by anthropologists that in the primitive condition of society a subdivision of tasks took place one set of men undertook to till the earth and manage the domestic animals whilst another girded on their arms and defended the infant community these latter for their services were fed by the tillers housed and clothed with food they had not grown houses they had not builded clothing they had not woven the same so division of labor continues still in the family where the man is the tiller and toiler and the woman is the military element she marches round the confines of his house Fights daily battles with those foes of domestic felicity, the servants. When they oversleep themselves, she routs them out of their beds. When they neglect the dusting, she flies in pursuit to bring them to their duties. When they are impudent, she drives them out of the house. With what unflagging zeal does she maintain her daily conflicts? How she countermines, discovers ambushes, circumvents, throws open the gates, and charges the foe now consider what was the life of the girl before she married she had no worries no warfare she was petted admired she enjoyed herself indulged her caprices unrestrained gave way to her humors unrebuked her bonnets her dresses were given to her she had no care what she might eat any more than the lilies of the field only unlike them devoting herself to the thoughts of her clothing for which however she had not to pay unmarried girls were anciently termed spinsters and are so derisively still in the bands for they formerly spun the linen for their future homes now they toil not neither do they spin then comes marriage and all is changed they enter into a world of discords and disagreements they have to grow long nails and to sharpen their teeth they have to haggle with shopkeepers fight their servants whereas the husbands, those sluggard kings of creation, smack their lips over their dinners, and lounge in their easy chairs, and talk politics with their friends, and smile and smile, unconscious of the struggles and passions that rage downstairs. The eyes that, in the girl, looked at the beauties of creation, in the married woman search out delinquencies in their domestics, and defects in the household furniture, the eyes that looked for violets now peer for cobwebs that lingered lovingly on the sunset glow now examine the coal bill and the ear that listened to the song of philomel is now on the alert for a male voice in the kitchen the nose that of old inhaled the perfume of the rose now pokes into pots and pans in quest of dripping from what has been said above the reader may conclude that the position of the wife though a belligerent one is at all events regal she is queen of the house and if she has trouble with her servants it is as a sovereign who has to resist revolutionary movements among her subjects no more mistaken idea can well be entertained as the pope writes himself servant of the servants of heaven so does the lady of the house subscribe herself servant of the servants of the establishment if she searches into their shortcomings, remonstrates, and resents them, it is as the subject criticizing, murmuring at, and revolting personally against the tyranny of her oppressors. So far from being the head of the house, she is the doormat, trampled on, kicked, set at naught, obliged to swallow all the dirt that is brought into the house. Marriage had produced a change in Philip, it had made him less stony angular, formal. Matrimony often has a remarkable effect on those who enter into it, reducing their peculiarities, softening their harshnesses, and accentuating those points of similarity which are to be found in the two brought into close association, so that, in course of time, a singular resemblance in character and features is observable in married folk. In an old couple there is to be seen, occasionally, a likeness as that of brother and sister this is caused by their being exposed to the same caresses and the same strokes of fortune they are weathered by the same breezes moistened by the same rains in addition to the exterior forces molding a couple comes the reciprocal action of the inner powers their passions prejudices so that they recoil on each other they come to think alike to feel alike as well as to look alike the man unconsciously loses some of his ruggedness and the woman acquires some of his breadth and strength they become in some measure reflectors to each other the light one catches is cast on and brightens the other and they mirror whatever passes along the face of the other the subtle mysterious modeling process had begun on philip although but recently married janet was no longer in the house she had returned to france and as her constitution was delicate had followed advice and gone to the south for the winter mrs sidebottom and the captain had shaken off the dust from their feet against murgatroyd and had returned to their favorite city york where they resumed the interrupted gyrations about the whirlpool of fashionable life and mrs sidebottom made her usual rushes still ineffectual at its center consequently philip was left to the undisturbed influence of salome and this influence affected him more than he was conscious of and would have allowed was possible he was very happy but he was not the man to confess it least of all to his wife as a canadian indian deems it derogatory to his dignity to express surprise at any wonder of civilization shown him so did Philip consider that it comported with his dignity to accept all the comforts, the ease, the love that surrounded him, as though familiar with them from the beginning. Englishmen who have been exposed to tropic suns in Africa have their faces shriveled and lined. When they return to England in the soft humid atmosphere, the flesh expands and drinks in moisture at every pore. The lines fade out and the flesh becomes plump so did the sweet soothing influence of salome equable as it was gentle fill relax refresh the spirit of philip and restore to him some of the lost buoyancy of youth salome was admirably calculated to render him happy and philip was not aware of the rare good fortune which had given him a wife who had the self-restraint to keep her crosses to herself that is not the way with all wives MANY A WIFE MAKES A BEAST OF BURDEN OF HER HUSBAND, lading HIM WITH CROSSES, HEAPING ON HIS SHOULDERS NOT ONLY HER OWN, GREAT OR SMALL, BUT ALSO ALL THOSE OF HER RELATIVES, FRIENDS, AND ACQUAINTANCES. SUCH A WIFE CRACKS A WHIP BEHIND HER GOOD MAN, DRIVES HIM THROUGH THE TOWN, STOPPING AT EVERY HOUSE, AND CALLING, ANY OLD CROSSES, OLD CROSSES, OLD CROSSES, CHUCK THEM ON, HIS BACK IS BROAD TO BEAR THEM, precisely as the scavenger goes through the streets with his cart and burdens it with the refuse of every house many a wife takes a pride in thus breaking the back and galling the sides and knocking together the knees of her husband with the crosses she piles on his shoulders as we walk through the wilderness of life burrs adhere to the coat of darby and to the skirts of joan why should not each carry his or her own burrs if they refuse to be picked off and thrown away why should joan collect all hers and poke them down the neck of darby and expect him to work them down his back from the nape to the heel little thought had philip how unperceived and by stealth salome sought the burrs that adhered to him removed them and thrust them into her own bosom bearing them there with a smiling face and leaving him unconscious that he had been delivered from any and that they were fretting her we men are sadly regardless of the thousand little acts of forethought that lighten and ease our course we give no thanks we are not even aware of what has been done for us nevertheless our wives do not go unrewarded though unthanked for what they have done or borne their gentle attentions have served to give us a polish and a beauty we had not before we came into their tender hands a bright face met philip when he returned from the factory every day if salome saw that he was downcast she exerted herself to cheer him if that he was cheerful she was careful not to discourage him always neat in person fresh in face and pleasant in humour keeping out of philip's way whatever might annoy him she made him as happy as he could well be perfectly happy philip could not be because unable to shake off the sense of insecurity that attended his change of fortune constitutionally suspicious habituated to the shade he was dazzled and frightened when exposed to the light the access of good luck had been too sudden and too great for him to trust its permanency the fish that has its jaws transfixed with broken hooks mistrusts the worm that floats down the stream unattached to a line. The expectation of disappointment had been bred in him by painful and repeated experience and had engendered a sullen predetermination to mistrust good fortune. He regarded her as a treacherous goddess, and when she smiled, he was sure that she meditated a stab with a hidden dagger such as are born in the lap of fortune from which they have never been given a fall or where they have never been dosed with quassia through a drenching spoon such persons look on life with equanimity nothing would surprise them more than a reverse but with the stepsons of fortune the cinderellas in the great household of humanity who have encountered heartbreak after heartbreak it is otherwise when fortune comes their way offering gifts they mistrust them as the gifts of the deny it is with them as with him who is haunted he knows that the spectre lurks at hand and when he is about to close his eyes will start up and scare him when he is merry will rise above the table and echo his laugh with a jeer so do those who have been unlucky fear ever lest misfortune should spring on them from some unforeseen quarter at some unprepared moment the dread, lest there should be a revulsion in his affairs, never wholly left Philip, and took the edge off his happiness. He had found little difficulty in acquiring the requisite understanding of the business, and obtaining a firm hold over the conduct of the factory. There was no prospect of decline in the trade. Since the conclusion of the European war, it had become brisk. Peace had created a demand for figured damasks, he had no reason to dread a cessation of orders, a slackness in the trade. End of chapter twenty six.